Hey, welcome to Realm Lore, the fantasy bookshelf. My name is Tyler. My name is Ryan, and we love discussing the fantasy genre. And today, we're going to be discussing some fantasy. Whether it is our first read or reread, uh, we will provide an in-depth analysis that even an orc can enjoy. We are planning on hitting many different series with different adventures and experiences. But right now, we're focusing on The Cosmere by Brandon Sanderson, and for me, this is my first ever read-through. And for me, I have read this many times, and it is my top series. So buckle up for the ride. And go through the cosmos with us on an adventure to different realms. And explore the lore. That's Craig. Um, <laughs> That's Craig. <laughs> uh, hey, Craig. <laughs> everyone say hey to Craig. Uh, nah, welcome to uh, Realm Lore. This is, I guess, technically uh, episode two. Um, yeah, yeah, last week we did, what, the epilogue last week? Um, and so this week we're going through Act 1, um, chapters uh, 1 through 8. Uh, I'm Tyler. Uh, I got over here with me. I got, uh, you guys want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Ryan. <coughs> here, here from last week. <laughs> and newcomer here, uh, I'm Gary. Uh, I, you might know me as Cosmere Junkie on uh, Instagram and TikTok. Speaking of that, did you change your name on Instagram by any chance? Uh, no, it should still be under Cosmere Junkie. Uh, okay. Having a hard time okay. finding me? No, the reason is is because when I went to go message you back the other day, it popped up as a Brandon Sanderson fan page. I was like extremely confused for a few minutes. Oh, so the title of the title is there, but my handle is Cosmere Cosmere uh, Junkie. But the uh, uh, it, it is listed as Brandon Sanderson fan page and. That's purely so that people who search Brandon Sanderson now still show up in the search results. Honestly, sure. great marketing. Uh, I love it. Uh, I was just sitting here wondering why I wasn't following you until this point, but uh, now now I am. Honestly, thank you. Thank you very I'm much. Sad. I'm sad you weren't following Avoid, but that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I went through and watched all the videos uh, the first time we talked about it. And I don't know why I, I still use Instagram that much. I don't know. I'm kind of a boomer with the with some of these social media sites. So nah, it's all good. You want to be careful too. I, I know since this podcast is geared towards people reading Mistborn for the first time, um, there are spoilers to be had. I try to be pretty pretty generous with uh, giving you a heads up if there is one, but uh, follow with with uh, caution. Yes, for sure. Uh, with no, that wait. being said, <clears throat> excuse me, we are getting into a little bit of spoilers, not a whole lot, uh, but there definitely will be some. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't read Mistborn at least through the end of the first act, then there will definitely be some spoilers. So let's get straight into it. I mean, uh, go ahead and let's get, get us started off. Let's go ahead and read off the uh, epilogues. Um, the epigraphs. I got you. I got epilogues. you. Epilogues. You know, there's too many epos. Okay. I'm epic. <laughs> That's all we need. <clears throat> Perfect. You know, most people, I mean, an epigraph isn't uh, something that I remember being taught in English class. And I would always describe it as like, oh, yeah, you know, the words in between, you know, before each chapter. Like, those are really cool in Brandon Sanderson books. And, you know, felt very silly when I finally discovered that they actually had a very specific name. 
Understandable. Uh, it's, it's, it's an epigraph. So, the, to piggyback on what we had discussed previously, when doing the research for the show um, and looking at all these epigraphs, it was the first time that I really had a chance to read them all back to back rather than reading them at the beginning of each chapter. And it was really cool. So uh, I thought that it would be nice to read through each act's epigraphs in order and read it like we are reading the journal like one of the characters. <clears throat> so without further ado, we can get right into it. So it starts off. Uh, I consider myself to be a man of principle, but what man does not? Even the cutthroat, I have noticed, considers his actions moral after a fashion. Perhaps another person reading of my life would name me a religious tyrant. <clears throat> I, he could call me arrogant. What is it to make that man's opinions any less valid than my own? I guess it all comes down to one fact. In the end, I'm the one with the armies. So dun, dun, dun. that one, that that one's uh you know that one's pretty ominous for sure. Yeah, and I'm I'm reading along with that, and it, I had forgotten about that uh, epigraph, and it is interesting that I the person we know who wrote this section, I it's a little more aggressive than I would have imagined them speaking. Absolutely, especially getting into deeper into the epigraphs and really seeing the the inner thoughts of this character that is a, that is a very aggressive tone to take okay. all right so we'll get in the next one if men read these words let them know that power is is a heavy burden seek not to be bound by its chains the terrorist prophecies say that i will have the power to save the world they hint however that I will have the power to destroy it as well. Pretty, uh, pretty deep meanings there, especially if you've already read the story. <laughs> yeah, so what do you it, think? It's yeah. great at setting up the stakes, I guess. Um, early on in in the book, you're only on chapter two, and um, you're you're realizing that the uh, stakes of the the whole world is at stake, which is um. Great foreshadowing. Yeah, they definitely bring that straight into the story. He he does not waste any time saying like, "Hey, look, you're going to be the one that's going to end up saving everything." Right. Exactly. Yeah, I think uh, that's one of the things that Brandon does very well is he he really knows how to raise the stakes and make it really feel like the stakes have been raised. I'm fine with that. All right. So yeah, it makes great. He's a great storyteller. So, moving on to chapter three. I mean, he's okay. Kidding, <laughs> kidding. I know I just made a lot of people mad with that comment. It was a joke. I promise. Yeah. So, we arrived in Terrace earlier this week, and I have to say, I find the countryside beautiful. The great mountains to the north, with their bald snow caps, forest mantles, stand like the watchful gods over this land of green fertility. My own lands to the south are mostly flat. I think they might look less dreary if there were a few mountains to vary the terrain. The people are mostly herdsmen, though timber harvesters and farmers are not uncommon. It is a pastoral land, certainly. It seems odd that a place so remarkably agrarian 
could have produced the prophecies and theologies upon which the entire world now relies. Hmm. Very interesting picture that Brandon has painted there. Yeah, I mean, that that is a, a key component um, of the story going forward, uh, that the the place where this traveler is going is in the mountains. Um, it is an important detail that comes back um, later in the book. And um, he, it's a, a great job of foreshadowing here that, that he's setting up. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> All right. Chapter four. Apparently, the next stage of my quest will take us up into the highlands of Terrace. This is said to be a cold, unforgiving place a land where the mountains themselves are made of ice. Our normal attendants will not <clears throat> do for such a trip. We should probably hire some terrace packmen to carry our gear. Now, this is, this is very interesting because this is really narrowing down a, a key focal point of, of um, conflict in the story moving forward. In this story yeah. being told a thousand years in the past, but really, I'm starting to to open up a more clear picture of what's going to happen. Yes, and um, you you really, with the last couple of epigraphs, you're learning about these terrorist people. Um, and uh, I don't know if he's actually. You just read them. I don't know if he said the name terrorist um, already, but uh, you're aware that they are an important faction to the narrator that it's a group of people that uh, are having a large impact on him because he's immersed in their culture right now. Yeah, I don't think times. they've mentioned terrorists yeah. at this point in the, no. in the story. So this is definitely, you know, like you said, just reading straight from this and this is it. This is definitely bringing huge aspects to it all. Definitely not. Um, the, if I, I, th I think that the first time that the terrorists really get mentioned within the story itself is much later on, but yeah, three times already in the epigraphs, terrorists has been mentioned. So clear that it's going that this is a an important place, important point plot yes. point of the story. <clears throat> so, exactly. on to chapter five. I don't even understand what I'm supposed to do. The tariffs philosophers claim that I'll know my duty when the time comes, but that's a small comfort. The deepness must be destroyed, and apparently I'm the one who can do so. It ravages the world even now. If I don't stop it soon, there will be nothing left of this land but bones and dust. Again, so great stakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really... Um, really vivid imagery there and yeah like you said great stakes that's really describing the situation and how dire of a, of a situation that this character is in imagine being viewed as the person who can save the world but right here he's questioning if he even knows what to do when the time comes Oh, without a doubt on that aspect of it. All right. <clears throat> Moving into chapter six. I never wanted this, true, but somebody has to stop the deepness, and apparently, Terrace is the only place that this can be done. <clears throat> on this fact, however, 
I don't have to take the word of philosophers. I can feel our goal now, can sense it. Though others cannot, it pulses in my mind far off in the mountains. Man, that's some great foreshadowing there for the rest of the series. I just, I'll leave it at that probably. But hey, you are right. See, it's great <laughs> reading half of this stuff right here. It, coming from a first timer of the series, you, they don't truly go along with what's actually happening in, in the uh, in the actual chapters. Uh, that, at least that's what I take from it. Is it's just it it is somebody's journal that they're just talking about their journey or their uh, goals that they want to have, but it doesn't really have anything to do with anything in the chapters. At least for me, it's very it is very much removed um, from the source material. We're reading something that's much older yeah. from a from a time <laughs> long forgotten. Yeah, and I think Ryan alluded to it earlier. He mentioned it. This is from thousand years prior to where our characters um, are currently set in. So uh, it's something that's been preserved for for th- a thousand years, and uh, eventually we'll we'll be seeing it in- introduced into this world at, at this time. Yeah, yeah. The details of this. Um of who's writing the journal and when it was written will definitely be uh, a big point within the story. Yes. So, chapter seven. We ever, I'm definitely find out who oh. does, uh, who actually writes the journal. I'm assuming. Yes. That's what I figured. Just want to make sure. Want to make sure. Not, yeah. Not going to mention who yet. That will come sooner. I have my suspicions. Um, <laughs> I think it's Gandalf. <laughs> well, in the prologue, he did say that. Um, let's see, what did he said Kelsier was was Gandalf. Yeah, he says sometimes I worry that I'm not the hero everybody thinks that I am. <clears throat> Tells you uh, a little bit of uh, you know who this person's supposed to be. True, true, true. All right, chapter seven. <clears throat> Rashek is a tall man, of course. Most of the terrorist men are tall. He is young to receive so much respect from the other packmen. He has charisma, and the women of court would probably describe him as handsome in a rugged sort of way. Yet, it amazes me that anyone would heed to a man who speaks such hatred. He, is never, he has never seen Hellenium, yet he curses the city. He does not know me, yet I can already see... <clears throat> the anger and hostility in his eyes. So it's clear from this that um, our writer has met a man named Rashek, and there's potentially going to be some conflict between them. Yes, um, you can tell that Rashek isn't a fan of the uh, person who is writing the journal. Um, and you're just setting the stage for what comes later, later on, uh, months later. And we also get our first mention of Hellenium, a city. Yeah. Don't really have any other context outside of that, but Rashik, who is tall for a terraceman, or who's tall, like other terracemen, um, does not like the city Hellenium. Correct, mm-hmm. yep. He's he's never seen it or been there. So. All right. And to wrap it up, chapter eight. 
He shall defend their ways, yet shall violate them. He will be the savior, yet they shall call him heretic. His name shall be Discord, yet they shall love him for it. Which and we were sound. we were talking yeah. about this earlier before um, we started recording, but that those couple of lines have major implications, not just for this trilogy, but and not even for just era two of Mistborn, but also presumably into era three. And it just boggles my mind that Sanderson was able to plan that far ahead. Yep, exactly. And I did the exact same thing when I was typing these out. Um, and I came across that line. I was just like, had to do like a triple take. Yeah. But I mean, you know, also we know what is discussed in the uh, prologue of the way of Kings and how much is laid in that as well, which we'll, we'll get to that eventually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he definitely um, is a master of laying these little clues that really hit hard when you come back for your second, third, fourth read after consuming everything that's been published up to this point. It's, it's one of the advantages of him being an outliner. He, he uh, is able to do a lot of foreshadowing. And to be fair, I believe he came out recently and confirmed that uh, all of Mistborn Era 1, the first three books, were all written at the same time and then released, which allowed him to have exquisite foreshadowing and details uh, for things in this book that will pay off in book three. Yes, I I read that recently as well. Really? Okay. No, I did not read that. That's pretty cool. Yes. The kind of advantage of uh, you know planning everything out. Uh, he considers himself an architect of writing. You know, architect versus um, a gardener. Uh, if you ever listen to his writing seminars that are free on yeah. YouTube, which I highly recommend. Um, that's the difference between, or that's the two types of writers. The writers that just get into the mood and they organically just, just expel, um, the creativity when mm -hmm. the mood, when the mood sits, you know, suits them. That's how, um, George R. R. Martin is. That's how, um, according to Brandon, that's how Stephen King is, but Brandon's the opposite. He plans everything out to the most minute detail before actually writing the chapters. Yeah. Yeah, and there's discovery writing, um, and then there's the plan it all out, and then and then just go for it, which is what Sanderson does. And uh, I believe he said he's going to do this method again with uh, Mistborn Era three, because yes. Era two he kind of wrote each book on its own. Um, era three he's going to write all three books, and then he'll start releasing them. Yep, which will be the second half of this decade, by the way, Tyler. <laughs> He's gonna he's gonna take a break uh, from writing the Stormlight Archive for five years oh, while he, he writes writes. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, because uh, you guys are but in times the meantime than I am right now, and so it's it's hilarious for me. <laughs> okay, don't get me wrong. Oh, you'll get say, there. Don't get Trust me. Wrong. Like, give me give me what the end of this book more than likely, and I'll be right there with you. Uh, you'll be there before you know it. Um, but he is, in the meantime, he's going to write sequels to uh, at least one of the standalones that we have um, that we've been waiting for years and years on a sequel for. Yep. And then he's going to write all three of the Era 3. So it, it's going to be great. Yeah, honestly, we don't deserve Brandon. He's, <laughs> he's too good to us. Not a bad thing. Not yes. a bad thing. 
All right. Well, let's get into the chapters here. And uh, obviously, you know, to recap the prologue, um, Kelsier, um, you know, Mr. Bad Slave Ska uh, has to act out and inspire rebellion and, you know, just murder a whole nobleman and his uh, retinue. Was a pretty pretty quality uh, prologue compared to you know other prologues that I've read. Yeah, very bloodthirsty. You learn very quickly that uh, Kelsier has no qualms murdering uh, as long as he murders the people he feels are the oppressors, Um, and he has no problem also forcing the oppressed. Uh, out of their comfort zone <laughs> and uh, putting them in a situation where they are forced to join the rebellion, the Ska rebellion. Um, they, Kelsier doesn't have much uh, in the way of being very sympathetic or empathetic to uh, other people's choices. He's he's more willing, he, he more sees what he wants to be done and he'll take action uh, to make sure that it happens the way that he wants it to be done. Yeah, exactly. I think that Brandon, um, in one of his uh, live streams, had a question about Kelsier. And he, he pretty much made the statement that if Kelsier was a character in any other story in the Cosmere, he'd be a villain. Oh, because, 100%. Because Kelsier... Yeah, but because he fits this this role of being a revolutionary um, and a troublemaker, that he is definitely a protagonist in this story. Yes. So, Kelsier's great. Love Kelsier. The, the, the character of Kelsier is fantastic, um, but he, he is a prime example of, uh, if, if you read The Way of Kings, one of the, the big quotes is, journey before destination. Kelsier's mm-hmm. all about destination before journey. Yes, he is. That, that is a great, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about it in, that, in those terms, but you're absolutely right. Yes. So the, let's uh, let's get into our chapters here. Uh, unless you want to add anything else to that before you move on. Nope, oh, we're good to go. Let's go. All what right. So so chapter one opens with our primary character, which um, that was one of your uh, predictions, Tyler. Uh, last episode was that Kelsier was not going to be the main character. You uh, you hit that one out of the park. Um, our main character, his name is Vin. I, I like. I want to start it off. I like how it's a it's a girl. I, I like it. If you most other stories, especially written by men, are usually just nothing about men. And honestly, I I like it. I like it's a you know I, I've read a few books in my day, not very many at all. That's part of the reason why I wanted to start this. And uh, we know here we are today. But this is that's one of the things just that really caught my attention. Was like, oh hey. We're going to switch this up a little bit. You got this badass guy, uh, and we're going to bring somebody in who's a little ruffian and get them where they need to be. And I, I, I love it. You know, I mean, that's that's fucking Star Wars all over again, but it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, a good, it's a good archetype mm-hmm. for sure. Oh, yeah. And I, I think as far as my thoughts on Vin, uh, when I think back about all the times I've read Mistborn with Vin, it, it's her arc. Um, at least we'll talk about the beginning of her arc. Is she set in a place where she doesn't trust anybody? Um, mm-hmm. 
And as we get into further chapters, we realize that she is set up with an opportunity to trust uh, Kelsier and his crew and learning <clears throat> to be open and vulnerable um, with them. And I, and that mirrors very well an, another character uh, who, who has been betrayed but is still choosing to to trust uh and i i find her character a very beautiful one of being hurt because that's something that we can all relate to uh where Mm -hmm. we've all been been hurt uh at some point in our lives but sometimes it's better to still be vulnerable and open ourselves up to love and trust with the those people around us because life is better when you can trust I think it's a it's a good lesson in like re- reinforcing the idea that it is worth taking the chance in the right situation. Yes. Yeah. No. Vin's great. We're gonna we're actually gonna get into those reasons here. So, chapter one opens up with um, Brandon really painting a picture of a bleak um, landscape and situation. You got ash falling from the sky. <laughs> Everything's dark gray. Pla- plants aren't green. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just um, it's a very vivid image that has always stuck with me since the very first time that I read The Final Empire. Um, and one of just, I don't know, just like a classic setting that is just a different enough, but still familiar, um, which Brandon does a great job with that. And it, it opens with Vin, you know, sitting alone in solitude, watching the ash fall. And she's reflecting on the words that her brother, Reen, um, has told her. And specifically, um, the line that I wrote down was, when you're alone, no one can betray you. And I think that really in, embodies who she is as a person when we first meet Ben. She's somebody that doesn't want to let anybody in, because if no one's there, then no one's going to betray you. And that's a very telling of of her so very much so yeah and and you can understand why right because you're very quickly introduced to her lifestyle um on these crews and some of the abuse she goes through absolutely Uh, that's uh, i was basically he said what i was trying to say um sorry about that tyler good i mean that's what this is we're good uh it's funny how um someone who's never read the series before is coming up to the same conclusions uh that people who have read the series not once maybe two three four times um it's his writing is so clear and evident that like hey this is this person this is how they think uh and later on we find out i'm assuming more reasons as to why she truly thinks that way um and so if if i'm not mistaken she's also she has the mindset of hey Everyone's going to leave me any every day, but that's because of her brother was drilling that into her head 24-7. Uh, so she's just in the mindset of wanting to be alone anyways. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I like how uh, 
personally, I see it as foreshadowing that she, you know, obviously later on in the chapters of the first act, you we know that she ends up coming up to a group or coming up with an actual group that seems fun, but there's foreshadowing that she's going to open up in the future. And I, 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 I for one, enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. And I think that um I think her and her brother have a very oh, complicated God. relationship. Um and 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 her brother is is one of the chief architects of who she is and and how her brain functions when the story first starts, you know, why she always has her guard up. But we'll we'll definitely be getting more into that relationship because it it, it wasn't one um bred in malice. Um uh, it's it's very complicated, without a doubt. Yeah, and and uh, it's something that she unpacks because y- you. I think it's interesting that as you go through these chapters, Vin hears Reen's voice in her head, giving telling her advice. Don't trust people all all the time, and uh, it just really illustrates what a big impact he had on her, and um, and that like his lessons that he drilled into her over and over and over again um is all she's known right because she was raised by her brother and so uh it it has completely affects her relationships with everyone else that you see throughout the rest of this book she regards them with suspicion she's not trusting um and uh and some could say maybe it's for a good purpose because growing up on the streets there are many who would take advantage of her Yes, exactly. Um, it definitely serves her in in many situations, being as guarded and on edge as she is. But it also serves as an impediment when she comes into people who have good intentions for her. So, and and that's really where we get to see her grow as a person. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, so she's interrupted in this state of you know reflecting on what her brother said by uh, a young boy named Ulef who is in who part who's part of the um, the thieving crew that that she's also a uh, part of and the Ulef is basically telling her that she needs to go downstairs and talk to Cayman the crew leader and Ulef um, warns her that Cayman is angry and um <clears throat> So she, at that point, she goes down to speak with Cayman, and as she's going down, she's you know going over in her head the plans of their upcoming scam. Um, she doesn't care if they're successful or not. Um, they scam obligators and noblemen all the time, so she's kind of indifferent. Now, <clears throat> when she gets to the room with Cayman, we get a nice little introduction of who he is, um, with him immediately you know slapping her, um, and you know just being. You know, just basically being a vile um, individual. Um, we also get mention of the Skull Rebellion, the Skull Rebellion killing Lord Trusting, you know, aka Kelsier. Um, Cayman tells Vin that an upcoming job is is going to potentially be worth thousands of boxings, and um, and it basically the responsibility was going to be falling onto her. Now to prevent further violence um, towards her. She uses her luck for the first time, as she calls it. She has this ability to to use her powers with quotation marks that she doesn't even understand to make Cayman less mad. 
So I was curious, Tyler, what you thought about that the first time that this was mentioned in the story and, you know, your thoughts on force? this magic. 100% you thought it was the force? Like the force. Fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi and up in this bitch. <laughs> um, These are not the droids you're looking for. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's a, that's a good point. It's... it's it's it, it's reading as much of the the the, the bigger name series. Uh, let me let me rephrase that. The ones who are widely known franchises, which don't get me wrong, the Mistborn and Brandon Sanderson's entire works are very widely known. But if you go up to someone and say, "Hey, do you know Mistborn or do you know Star Wars?" People are going to know Star Wars. So you're always going to or hey, do you know Lord of the Rings or do you know Mistborn? People are always going to understand which one people know more, unless you are a book junkie, plain and simple. Um, and so you're, we're always going True. to find correlations um, into those type of works, uh, even if they're intentionally, not intentionally. You know, Victoria Aviard, I love your series, uh, the Red Queen series, but Jesus, this is a your Red Queen book is a spitting image of fucking Mistborn with different names. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, we're going to have to look over that. We're going to have to look into wrong, that for I sure. I love those books. She is a great author. But my God, they are a spitting image. Um, hers came out like 2015, and this one obviously came out 2007, 2006. So, uh, but regardless, I, um, I forgot where my rant was going. I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> but uh, completely lost where I was going. Uh, nah, but you know what? Oh, yeah, the powers. Honestly, I enjoyed it. It was something different, something not expected. Uh, it made you wonder when the the head of the clan, uh, in a sense, was like, hey, I need you with me. And you can obviously tell her she's one of the lower the lowerlings of the of said clan. And so you're sitting there wondering why, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, she can do things. Okay, this is going to be a lot more interesting. And uh, it makes you wonder what it truly is, uh, which later on we find out. Well, and it's not our mm -hmm. first time mm -hmm. seeing magic in this book, right? We've seen <clears throat> Kelsier uh, do some some amazing feats. Um, actually, yeah, what <laughs> was it on page in the prologue? I I didn't. So so he burned ten in the prologue. That was the only yeah, thing. Yeah. So, so we saw a, cu uh, a couple. So so one instance of magic where he was able to enhance his senses. So you we know that there's something to that, but. This is different. That was him uh, being almost superhuman. She is affecting other people's uh, states of mind. Uh, so it almost could feel just very... Uh, Sanderson talks about how there's two different kinds of magic. There's the Gandalf magic where, you know, they wave their hands and magic happens. And we don't really know the details of how, but we trust that, okay, they're a wizard... They did something that, that helped. Where Sanderson is not that way. He likes to have magic systems that are very logical and make sense. And at this point, it wouldn't appear that way. Um, but little do we know, we're about to, to get go to school and uh, learning yeah, exactly. all, the, all the details about uh, this luck that she has. 
Yeah, Act One is definitely a crash course. I do like how she calls it luck. For sure, I, I do. I do like it because I mean that just comes through back to her her upbringing, where when anything good happens, it was always just lucky. Whether mm-hmm. it w- whether it was something uh, that she could somewhat unknowingly control, uh, or you know something just happened to stumble upon something. But it, I th- I thought that was the naming of it that she gave it to her was pretty good. Yeah. And, and that, that is very, very similar and complimentary to another young lady in the Stormlight archive who uses her awesomeness. Yeah. True. Um, but, uh, true. True. Little hint there. Little nugget. Or we'll get to it. Yes. <laughs> So in so alright, so later on, um uh Urso Cayman leads Vin into the room with the other members of the crew and they're gonna discuss their, their upcoming scheme. Um this is at this point is where we get confirmation that Vin is sixteen years old, but she doesn't look sixteen. She looks a little younger. Um Vin also makes the observation that that Cayman's servants are too finely dressed. Um, so the men that he's taking with him, that are part of the are that are part of his crew, are dressed too fine of of a nobleman of his station and his servants. So um, he Cayman reluctantly <clears throat> um, has them change into more appropriate uh, clothing. Um, yeah, and you know he just. He's just not a very good character, um, especially in this first chapter. He really abuses her. Um, we see Cayman react um, in a way that is punishing to her verbally, um, asking why he still keeps her, threatens to make her a bed servant. and ult- But he ultimately takes her advice. So, you know, he, he just, he, he's got to get those jabs in to, to make her feel like she didn't win. But he still takes her advice, which and- is going to help him out. And uh, you you know two things. One is that you know he values her um, because he he takes her on these missions when she's supposedly an underling, right? Um, and he takes her advice, uh, like you mentioned. So there's something to her uh, that is, that we don't know as an audience yet, but there's something about her that makes her special. And um, and then the first point. Um, I <laughs> lost my train of thought, so we'll move on to whatever your next thought is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so after that, um, the negotiations with the obligator begin. So they so they leave and they go and they meet with the obligators and they discuss the the deal, if you will, with quotation marks. Um Cayman is formed that they will not be going with the proposal. Vin is certain that there is still a deal to be made since the obligators actually came to see them. That's right. In this instance, in this scene, the obligators come to them, and she. And even though they come and they tell Cayman that there, there's no deal, Vin rightly guesses that there is still room for negotiation since they came all that way to to see them in person. And Cayman also senses this opening. Um, he proposes to cut his potential earnings in half. A very generous offer. Vin senses that the obligator is on the fence, and she seizes this opportunity to reach out with her luck and dampen any <clears throat> negative emotions he may have had. After ten years of practice, she is quite good, and it seems to work. The chapter ends with the obligator agreeing to take the new proposal to his boss. Yeah, nothing could go wrong. So we get a full, uh, 
Yeah, we basically get a get a full demonstration of her using her luck in the way that she's been doing for the past ten years. <sighs> nah, I'm cool. I'm cool with it. It's it's ultimately I like how it played out, um, but you can definitely tell how the writing is uh, without reading. Something's going to happen. Get ready for it. It does have a very ominous feel uh, well, to it, for I mean, sure. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Let's go on to the next chapter. All right, chapter two, Kelsier. So, um, Kelsier describes Luthadel as a sustained scene with many buildings it keeps. Um, there are skull workers that only clean the ash from the city. Like, their only purpose is to clean the ash from the city <clears throat> streets and rooftops. Um, and... Yeah, he basically describes Luthadel as if there was nobody clearing the ash, it would be drowning in ash in a very short amount of time. Um, and he also wonders why the rivers don't uh, get backed up with ash. It's, for some reason, they continue to flow. Um, we also learn that it has been three years since Kelsier's capture, and that Kelsier is also considered a half-blood. Um, so he's... So that insinuates that he was born half noble, half ska. Yes. Yeah, which is important to note, um, as uh, that there is a distinct difference between the nobleman and the ska, uh, in that the noblemen are able to uh, possess these powers of the magic system that we've been describing, and people who are ska generally do not. Uh, so this is uh, an important important attribute for Kelsier to have. I think that um, he also makes a point to mention that the noblemen are usually are generally taller than mm-hmm. the ska, and that they're generally stronger, more athletically built. But the ska, but but oh yeah, yeah, the ska are able to reproduce at much higher levels. The 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 noblemen have a harder time producing. <clears throat> Or reproducing. That's okay. Correct. So there does seem to be some true, physical true, true. differences between the two. Um, so uh, this is where we meet Doxon, or Dox, um, as, you know, uh, Kelsier's shortened name for him. Um, they meet and they discuss the events at the Trusting Plantation as well as muse about past exploits and plans and discussing who they need to recruit for this newest scheme. Docs tells Kelsier uh, to accompany him for a, a little surprise. So it's a quick little, you know, uh, part of the chapter where they meet. They, you know, we learn a little more information about their relationship. We get some, you know, small talk about past deeds. And then Doxon is like, hey, I, I want to show you this thing. Come with me. That's where they end on that chapter. We pick back up with Vin <clears throat> um, at the crew's hideout, reflecting on her brother's lessons, who has been gone for six months, um, is revealed during that part. Um, she is told that it is time to start the next step in their plan, so she heads off to the ministry building. Vin is selected as one of the attendants inside, and there she discovers that Cayman has <clears throat> decided to betray his business partner. So that's uh, you know, just painting more of a picture of literal who came scumbag. Came in and is as a person. 
Yeah, and it's a it's a high stakes uh, thing because I believe if he does end up betraying him, he'll set all the obligators and the nobleman on the business partner while he slides out, takes none of the blame, but takes all of the reward with uh, the boxings and the, the cash and uh, has one less person to, to split the reward with. I actually have the plan outlined right here. So according to Ben, the plan is a comp- is complex in execution, but simple in concept. Each year, the Ministry transports newly trained obligators to Luthadel from a northern training facility, along with, uh, along with some carefully <coughs> hidden um, money disguised as baggage, and this is to be stored in the Ministry. If the thieving crews ran the boats that carried the obligators and money, they could easily stage a robbery and blame bandits. Cayman's plan is to take the obligators and uh, is to talk the obligators into a substantial down payment to get things rolling, then disappear with the funds and leave his business partner to deal with the fallout. So he basically wants them to front um, them with a substantial amount of money to get the operation rolling. And then Cayman's just going to take the money and run and leave his business partner, who he is trying to screw over, to deal with the fallout. Very sneaky. sneaky, honestly. Very. <clears throat> so uh, Vin has a hard time with this realization. You know, she she doesn't like the idea of of screwing over that business partner because she knows that it's going to lead to his financial ruin. Um, however, she's caught between a rock and a hard place. She proceeds as planned. Once arriving to their destination, they discover that they are not meeting the obligator as pl- that they had originally planned on meeting, but rather that obligator's boss. Vin's instincts kick in, and she is immediately on edge. However, Cayman proceeds anyway. The negotiations begin with the two men discussing the details. Cayman makes a case for this for his business, though the obligator claims that he's heard that he can be very persuasive. That's um, a little bit of foreshadowing there in my opinion. Uh, since he came in losing the discussion, Vin reaches out with her luck. The obligator smiles and claims that he has been persuaded. The obligator tells them to pick up their 3,000 boxing, boxing advancement. Um, however, Vin notices that the obligator is smiling as they leave. A happy obligator is never a good sign. So to me, yeah. that felt very easy. Because um, it felt like they weren't going to gonna get yep. that deal, and then as all of a sudden, something happened. they got it. Uh, they're like, okay, yeah, you know what? Never mind, you can have it. Uh, <clears throat> well, and the obligator made some very good points to to end the deal. Uh, they they started to poke holes in the arguments for for why they would give the business to this house, right? They had said that they wanted to take the business because the the house that Vin was representing um, was so destitute that they would make the government, the obligators, their primary focus. But then uh, they're like, well, if you're going to give us such a good deal, how, you're not making any money. And, and they said, well, if we're not making money, it, we don't need to make money. The prestige of working for you will give us more contracts. And then that becomes circular reasoning, right? That, well, now you've got all these other contracts and then we're not your sole focus anymore. And there was no good answer to that until she used her luck. And then suddenly they're like, yes, we'll give you the the contract um, completely out of the blue. And uh, you're right. It's very, very suspicious and very telling that uh, maybe what they were actually interested in was the fact that they 
found someone who could use luck. Yeah, almost like they uh, they just walked right into one. their trap. A, well, yes. I want to say it was. I don't think it was necessarily a trap. Um, I think they always entertain the opportunities to talk with people, but I don't think that this was necessarily a trap. I, I think it was just happenstance. I, I don't. Well, what makes me think that uh, it might have been a partial trap, at least, or at least, um, you know, being aware that this could happen is the fact that um, the obligator stated that he's heard they okay. came and okay. can be very okay. persuasive. Yeah, they they were they're definitely doing a little bit of fishing, trying to find something. Um, yeah, because the the original meeting, they did not intend to give this contract to this house that was not in the plans but then vin uh helping to win the business uh that was a suspicious uh a suspicious turn of events and so they sent someone new and said persuade us again and that was in an effort to confirm their suspicions that someone uh was able to use some magic so maybe they yep. were yep, under exactly. the impression cayman was the one who could use was using uh that's that was able to use quote-unquote luck they were very possibly like, yeah, yeah exactly yes. but yes. it sounds like not a great uh, way to that tell. was something that was crossing their mind Yeah, because the the original obligator, I mean, it, it comes up in, in the story that obligators are are trained to know when they're being, yeah. um, when luck is being used on them, and so the original one that they got, you know, hit with the allomancy, went back and, you know, um, reported, and then they feels like they kind of set this up to to be ready for them, um, and I think that I think that is comes even more clear here in this next part right here. So the chapter ends with Kelsier and, and Doxon witnessing the meeting from a hiding place. Um, they discuss Vin, um, how they discovered her, or how Dox discovered her, and that they believe that she doesn't even know what she is, um, that trace minerals must be powering her abilities in minor capacities. Um, a steel inquisitor then emerges from the ministry building, clearly set in pursuit of Vin and Cayman. Kelsey reveals that the obligators are trained to recognize when they have their emotions t um, tampered with. And Dox and Kelsey are split up. Dox is sent to take care of the ministry tales, and Kelsey is going to distract the Inquisitor. Um, and I think that, um, that that chapter, or the end of that chapter, is really cool. Um, one of the moments that really stands out to me from my first read when Kelsier decides to just just grab a hold of the Inquisitor's emotions, just let him know, like, hey, buddy, <clears throat> somebody's messing with you right here. Oh, I agree. I, I completely agree. Uh, with you on that I one. think that's a cool scene. <clears throat> yeah. Um, that that in chapter two, chapter three, um, we go back to Vin. She's uh, at the lair and she's watching Cayman count his money and gloat, you know, like the great person that Cayman is. Um, all while feeling the need to leave. Um, she definitely senses that something is up. Um, Cayman throws a chair at her and injures her. Um, he actually starts to beat her. Um, and she experiences a sensation that gives her strength. So while she's being beaten, she feels this sensation wash over her that kind of dulls her pain a little bit. 
and gives her a little more energy, but it's a very small amount, and he continues to assault her. Um, she uses her luck, all her luck that she has left on him, but it's not enough, and he gets even more angry. Um, she tries to seek help from the other crew members, but no one will even meet her eye. He came and continues to beat her <clears throat> until the front door bangs open. <clears throat> now, before moving on to the next part, I do want to make note of a foreshadowing note. Um, in this in this part, um, Vin mentions her earring for the first time that she got from her mother, who has passed away. <laughs> that's all you get. And that's all the context there. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lips are sealed. Uh, so, uh, still fearing for her life and scared about being uh, or about the lair being attacked, Vin panics and is unable to really do anything aside from watch the events unfold. She watches Cayman get thrown across the room and is hit with a soothing, uh, something that uh, she immediately recognizes but has never experienced for herself. Um, this is where Vin meets Kelsier. And though she's very shy and apprehensive about him and Docs, who also joins him, he eventually warms up to them enough to, or to, you know, to her and the other crew members, enough to, for them to start answering questions. Vin learns that she attacked an Inquisitor and that she is a misting, possibly a misborn. Kelsier gives her a small glass vial to swallow, and reluctantly she does. So. <clears throat> Yeah, this is a this is a cool scene too because this is where Kelsier kind of comes in and asserts his dominance. He kicks Cayman's ass. He takes over the lair. He appoints another one of the uh, one of the thieving crew members to be the the thieving crew or to be the the leader, and basically takes over their their um, their lair and kicks everybody out except for Vin. And that's where Vin is made aware that she used her luck on Inquisitor. And that um, she can do allomancy, maybe even a lot of allomancy. Yes, uh, so much allomancy that when they, uh, I well, I guess they don't test at this point. No, they do. Yeah, uh, they they test and realize that she has access to all eight of the allomantic metals, uh, and that she'll have great powers beyond um, almost any other human. Yeah, it's quite the uh, quite the the truth bond be dropped on somebody. A pleasant one, though. <laughs> oh, definitely. yeah, definitely. And definitely. and right off and right off the bat, um, I think Kelsier just continues to uh, impress the kind of person that he is, uh, being very uh, I don't know, flamboyant is the right word, um, but very he showman. Is, he's Yes, I both of those would would be pretty good descriptors. Yeah, I'd say he's he's moderately flamboyant. He's definitely a showman. Yes, very showman. He he does, uh, he he does love to help people, but there's a big part of him that, um, loves to be held in awe uh, of other people, as you see with the way that he handles her crew after saving them and tipping his hand uh, and saying that he dealt with an, a steel inquisitor and the awe that he inspires in them uh, just from that sentence. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I think that um, the scene, or continuing on in that scene when she throws the vial back reluctantly, they have to talk her into it. Um, in fact, uh, Vin has Kelsier take a drink of it first to make sure it's not poison. 
Um, she she throws the vial back, drinks it, doesn't feel anything. Kelsier's like, check uh, check check in with inside you, you know, see if you if anything's different. And that's when she checks her luck reserve and is just floored by the wealth of power that she finds, just absolutely flabbergasted. Uh, because she's only the been given trace amounts of it in the water. And stuff. And, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. And, and so a lot of power, and they have her do the opposite of using her luck. And she intuitively figures out how to do it. And really she first quickly, sees might I add, too. his emotions, and then she riots his emotions. I mean, she's been well, using, yeah, she's been no, soothing for, that, for 10 years she, at, up at that point. As we learn, she picks things up fairly quickly um, to the point where Kelsier is even extremely uh, yes. surprised by it himself. Yes, uh, 100%. She is very, she's very quick on her feet, for sure. Yes, uh, and some of that uh, comes for various reasons. Uh, that's all I'll say. But she, yeah, for she definitely, sure. she uh, is is definitely uh, a powerful <clears throat> individual. Is something um, that you learn right off the she bat. She doesn't become a Mary yes. Sue, does she? Um, we also find out. Uh, okay. No, okay. That, I would. That, I would that, say that she's not a Mary. That Sue. would honestly get on my nerves. Yeah, he did, he Brandon does a really good job with her. Yeah, I I have to think about it. Like I'm I'm going through the three three books for this era and um and trying to find spots where she it, well no very easily book two you will definitely know by the end of book two that she is not a Mary Sue she makes mistakes very much so we'll get there soon and she's very she's very human we'll we'll just leave it at that yes. Um, some of the other information we find out at the end of the chapter is that um, uh, she's questioned about her parentage, and we we learn that her father um, is a high-ranking obligator, um, but we don't know who because she was only she only was told about him by her brother and has seen him in person one time from on. afar. I think this but, is going you know, somebody, to somebody somebody to put out to play big big time. Yeah, <laughs> your your predictions have been, you know, one of them has been right so far. We'll see. <laughs> well, we'll write this one down. I'm keeping the list of your predictions. You uh, think what is uh, going to be big? Her, 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 yeah, her heritage, parents, and stuff like that. Uh, her parents. Um, I don't know oh, okay. if okay. I don't think her mother was so far mentioned yet. No, she was. She died. She no, was she? Yeah, oh my god, yeah, yeah. the mother, her yeah, older her, sister, her, 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 her and the brother was like, yeah, no, that's not happening. Okay, never mind. I do brain aneurysm all over the place. <laughs> so, yeah, and then they, they tell her she's a misborn, so she can, Just she's so, got access to all the powers. So dope. Um, take powers. So I will big, take big powers news. any day. Yeah, so chapter four. I'll, yeah. yeah, same. These powers, especially. Thank you for joining us on this literary journey through the realm lore, the fantasy bookshelf. We hope our discussions and insights have enriched your reading experience and sparked new ideas. Remember, the adventure doesn't have to end here. 
pick up that next book, dive into its pages, and let its world captivate your imagination. Until next time, happy reading. These are our opinions and are not affiliated with Brandon Samson unless he wants us to be.